This morning, we continue our series on spiritual disciplines and how it is that we look at living out the faith that God has given us regularly and in habits that reflect God's transformation in, the, in us. Last week, we went a little bit off, um, off the beaten path. We changed things, but we still went through the discipline of opening our hearts to encouragement and the discipline of encouraging those around us who need encouragement, and if we are in need of encouragement ourselves, to find places to ask for help, trusted places where God can give us the encouragement through people around us. This morning, we're talking not about opening our hearts, but opening our wallets. This morning, we want to talk about the implications of generosity in the early church and how we can learn from those implications in our own lives and what God might be speaking to us about how we open up our wallets and open up our hearts to generosity, what it means to be generous in this world that we live in. We're going to spend time in Acts 9, 36 through 43, and we're going to talk about the story of Tabitha or Dorcas. I like Tabitha better because Dorcas is just one of those names I don't like to say very much. So in my outline, it's a Tabitha. It's the same story, and you'll see why, because they actually name her Tabitha in the text. Acts 9, 36 through 43. Let's pray for God's blessing on our time in his word. Father, thank you for already reminding us of your love in the sacrament. Thank you for reminding us of your love through the people that we're with. Thank you for reminding us of your love through the beauty of this day. And now, Father, we ask that we are reminded of your love in your word. That your love is shown to us in that your word has power to transform us. Power to move us. Power to challenge us. To grow more in what it means to be a disciple, a person who seeks to follow Jesus more passionately, more fully, more completely in all that we do. We ask, Father, for those who are here seeking a word from you, that you might speak to them, that I may disappear and my words instead are yours, that what you say to us can be heard with hearts that are open and ready, Lord to do what it is that you call us to do. This is work that you and you, you and you alone can do in us, and we pray that you do it today. In Jesus' name, amen. From the book of Acts, chapter 9, beginning at verse 36. In Joppa, now, Paul and his followers are following, or they're going around different places, and so he's sort of the itinerant missionary at this point, and as he goes into these different places, you see all the events of his early ministry and what's going on. So this is just one of the events that occurs during Paul's ministry. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name is Dorcas, thus I like Tabitha better. She was always doing good and helping the poor, about that time, she became sick and died. And her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Lydda was near Joppa, so when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to him and urged him, please come at once. Peter went with them. 
And when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood around him, crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Peter sent them all out of the room. And then he got down on his knees and prayed. Turning toward the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called for the believers, especially the widows, and presented her to them alive. This became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In the world that we live in, generosity is certainly encouraged on some fronts. If you watch any television at all, it won't be long before you see commercials for various causes, especially depending on the time of year. One of my least favorites, and maybe you've seen this one, is the sappy one with lots of uh, forlorn and sad-looking animals on it with a Sarah McLachlan song in the background. You know which one I'm talking about that makes you feel guilty for every single one of those little puppies and kittens? I don't like that one. I don't like having, being guilted into generosity. But there's lots of different causes out there, and especially after major tragedies or disasters in various parts of the world, not long after 9-11 and others like it, Hurricane Katrina, we got lots of Red Cross commercials and lots of requests for funds from various areas, and I hope that you are generous in your giving to those places. But there's really, in many ways, two types of generosity in the world that we live in. And sometimes, um, I, I really want us to think about the type of generosity we're exhibiting so we understand more where our heart is and what it is that we do. Now, let me give you an example. I'll give you an example of two buildings. There's two buildings in Grand Rapids. I was recently there. I saw both of them. One is a hospital in downtown Grand Rapids. It is a hospital that literally cost well over $100 million to build. Lots of money, and the seed money came from one particular family for this hospital. And they have a passion for children's uh, children's health, and so it's a children's hospital that they spent a lot of money as a family giving to so that this would happen. And if you go past this particular building, you will see right on the very front of it, da-da-da, the name of the family, Children's Hospital. And it's a very well-recognized and um, renowned hospital in the area. And I'm glad that it's there, and I'm glad that this family was willing to give. But I wonder, because really in many ways, this family, by making sure that the name was not only front and center on the building, but on almost everything inside the building, that there would be recognition. A sense that, boy, we're really glad that this family is generous. There's another building that I was in very recently as well. It's on Calvin College's campus. It's the FAC, the Fine Arts Center. It's a beautiful building. It was actually started construction while I was in seminary, so about seven years ago. 
And they did what in essence became about a $10 million refurbishment of an old facility and really brought it up to date technologically, really brought it up to date with some of the things within the building and some of the rooms in the building. It's a beautiful facility. It's where my daughter Katie goes for choir practice every day. We were in that room. It's a wonderful room that they've made for students to learn and grow. But somebody gave money to make this building happen. I know who it was. He's actually a friend of our family. But you probably don't know who he was, even if you know what building I'm talking about, and you've been there. You'll go to this building, and in the front sort of lobby of this building, there's a rock right in the center of the lobby. And if you go up to that rock, there's a bronze plaque on it that tells the story of what this rock means. Because the whole FAC is now called the Covenant Fine Arts Center. And on this bronze plaque, it talks from this family who gave all the money's perspective about how God has been faithful, what we just sang of, And how God has shown himself over and over and over and over again to this family. That he has been faithful to his promises. That he has been a God of covenant. And he will, they trust, continue to be a God of covenant who shows his love for them. And there's no name on the plaque. This family, he would actually be upset that I'm telling his story here this morning. It's not the kind of man that he is. I actually spent time with him when I was in Grand Rapids. He is a humble man. He has been blessed by God greatly. He will attest to that. He knows God's provision in so many different incredible ways. And many of them are financial. But he longs to be generous with no thanks. With no people coming to him and saying, we're so grateful that you've given your money to this. We're so grateful that you are so generous. He simply wants to give and give with a pure heart, not seeking any recognition whatsoever for what he's done. When we consider generosity in our lives, why are we doing it and what are we doing it for? What is it that motivates us to do it? Are we looking to have that name up that gives us recognition? Or instead, are we looking simply to give back unto God what is already his into the lives of others? Bless them without any recognition except from heaven above. In our story this morning, Tabitha is the second kind of generous She is one of those people who looks into the community around her, seeks ways and places that she can give into the needs of the poor. It even says in there that she is a person who is a good doer. She's someone who does good. She's obedient to God's commandment to do good in all that she does. And her doing good means she's generous. And she does it out of this pure heart. She simply longs to see God's love go out through her into the lives of others. Now within that, it's a beautiful thing. I give God praise for the story of Tabitha, but she doesn't herself. And I think the community doesn't understand the implications of what it means for her to be generous and do good. 
She's the sort of person that if she were going to Stater Brothers on a Saturday morning to pick up some groceries, as she walked along this street, and as she saw a little waif of a young boy who might be hungry because he didn't get any breakfast and his family is poor, when she went to Stater's, she would make sure to get a couple extra loaves of bread. And on her way home, look for this young boy again and make sure that he went home with his hands full and, Lord willing, his stomach full as well. She was the sort of person that if someone in the community were injured, a, a, a mom or a dad in the work that they did, that she would be one of the people who would come and make sure that that family was taken care of through that injury or through that illness. She was a, a purple fabric maker. And for those of you who don't know, purple at that time was one of the most difficult things to come by. The color, I mean, we, we take it for granted that our shirts and our dresses and our clothing gets easily dyed, whatever color we can possibly imagine. But in this time, purple was the most difficult color to dye into fabric, and she found a way to do it. And because she was able to do it, she was well-to-do. She had the ability to give bread to the little boy. She had the ability to serve the widows. She had the ability to care into the lives of others. But she didn't just have the ability. She had the heart. She had the desire. And her eyes and her hands were affected by the love of Jesus so that when she saw a need, her hands would reach out towards it. And give generously. And we know she doesn't do this for gain. She has no way though of knowing the impact of her generosity on the community around her. And that's why I believe we have this story. That's why I believe we hear about Tabitha here in the text. Because God gives us through the work of Peter, through his healing of Tabitha, a way to understand how if we enter into generosity, giving generously with pure and open hearts, what it is that God is doing and how it is that affects his kingdom. We can have in our own lives moments of generosity and I certainly hope that you do. I hope that as you walk towards Thanksgiving and this Christmas season, that you are generous. That you are generous with an open wallet to give unto various needs, to give to the church in its work in the kingdom, to give to various organizations here, Redlands Family Services, maybe the Blessing Center, whatever it is that God has called you and given you a passion for, that you give generously. I hope you have those stories those stories. But you and I have no way of knowing nor understanding the impact of that generosity. We have no way of understanding oftentimes when we simply write a check to an organization that serves families like Redlands Family Services, what that might do. That's one of the beautiful parts about this season when we have the gift list of all the kids from Redlands Family Services that we can go out and buy a gift for. That we all of a sudden have an opportunity to put a name and a face to what our generosity might do. We can understand how God is blessing and what God might be doing. When we are open 
to what God can do and open to how he might transform those around us through generosity. And when we gain understanding about it, Lord willing, our hearts become more open to give. But there's a challenge. And the challenge is is that we can get burned. Has anyone ever been burned with generosity? Has anyone ever given to someone or something and you felt like you got taken advantage of? I have. I, as the pastor here, have regular interactions with various people. And there are some times when I go away feeling very good about what God might do in this person's life or in this situation. But I also have plenty of stories that I can tell you, many of which you might even know yourself, of people who've come here, sought help, sought financial assistance, sought a leg up, and then when they got it, just sort of walked away, taking advantage of it, making us feel like, what's the point? In fact, even this week, Greg and I had a conversation about generosity here and how we do ministry, how we serve those people who come in off the street, how we serve those who send us an email saying they have needs or call in. And our hope is that in many ways, one out of 50 might change. One out of 50 might be transformed, but unfortunately, the other 49 aren't. And that makes it hard to do it again. It makes it hard to give generously yet again. And when it doesn't seem to work in our frustration, we can close ourselves to the needs of others. We don't want to be generous because we don't want to be taken advantage of and our hearts shrink and the kingdom is limited in us. I want you to think for a moment. How generous are you How much have you been wounded by being taken advantage of? How much are you wounded by feeling like there has been time when you've poured time and energy and finances and talents and abilities into some situation or some person or some place and in the end it seemed to end up in nothing? How much are you and I wounded and that makes us do this? hold on to our wallets a little tighter and not take them out so quickly. We take a zero off of the check because we don't feel like we can trust what it is that we might be giving to. In the community that I used to live in, there was a family that we knew very well, the Lewis family. They were a family that had been in the church community for about 10 years during the time that I was there. It was a mom and a dad and five kids ranging at that time between a senior in high school and a first grader. There were three boys and, or two boys and three girls. And because I was a youth pastor, I had lots of interactions with this family. Dad, unfortunately, was in and out of jail over drug use. Mom could not hold down a job. And oftentimes when she did get a job, unfortunately, someone ended up getting sued because if she ever got hurt on the job or if someone ever said anything to her on her job, she was looking to litigate in order to try to get money out of whatever company she had worked for. She had at one time three different lawsuits going that I was aware of. 
And yet it didn't stop her from regularly calling me because her kids were a part of youth group activities to ask if we could give yet again to make sure that her kids could go on whatever trip. If we were going on a retreat, could we fund the retreat for her kids? If there was an activity, could we have, could, could we have an extra $20 to pay for that? There were people in the church who made sure that she had food. There were people in the church who made sure that her kids' Christian education was paid for. There were people in the church that would buy her cars at various times. There were people in the church that made sure if she ran out of rent money that she had enough to get her over to the next month so that she could keep on living. And finally, because we're a stubborn lot in that church at the time, we learned that this was getting taken advantage of. And it meant that at the end of the story with the Lewis family, they left. Why? Because they dried us up of our generosity. We couldn't do it anymore. We couldn't in good conscience feel like we were taken advantage of. We couldn't do this thing that made us feel used. That happens. That happens. But when I look at this story about Tabitha, God be praised, we get a glimpse of what God might be doing. And even with this Lewis family, I have to trust that the end of the story is not yet done. That those two boys and three girls might still show up someplace, somehow in my life. Thank goodness for Facebook, which continues to come, you know, give me information about that family. I can hear little glimpses of what God might be doing. Tabitha knew those stories. How do we know that? How do we know that Tabitha had been, had had, had stories of where her generosity had transformed the hearts and the lives of others? Well, we look at the text. And what we see, first of all, in Tabitha's healing, it reflects Christ's power in generosity. How do we know that? Who was in the room? Look again at the story. Verse 39 says this. Peter went with them. And when he, was, when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows. Who? Widows. Who are widows in the kaleidoscope, the panorama of this time? The widows are those who never, ever get supported. They're the ones who end up in destitution because they have nobody to provide for them. Their husband is gone. And if your husband was gone, then it may be that your children take care of you, but usually not. Somebody had to step up. In fact, earlier on in the book of Acts, we see where the church is struggling with the issue of deacons because, or struggling with the issue of widows because the apostles are spending so much time dealing with the widow issue that they don't have an opportunity to actually be apostles so they select new deacons. Stephen is one of them. This is a big deal. And here is Tabitha. I'm just telling you right now, if you have a problem with female deacons, go to this passage. 
Because you see it at work. This woman is a deacon in her community doing exactly what God charged the diaconate to do. Go out, find widows, and care for them. So that when things get tough, who is it that shows up at her home? Those people that she's loved and cared for and helped and assisted. Christ has made an impact here. These people have a love for God and for Tabitha, and so they come when she dies. Now, you're going to think to yourself, you're going to think, well, of course they came. The money train's gone. Tabitha's dead. How are they going to get cared for now? Oh, we can be cynical that way, and certainly my mind can go there. But I don't believe that's the case. I believe this with real tears. Her generosity showed up in the life of somebody and there was love. Love for her and she loved them. Christ made an impact here, verses 40 and 41. Paul sent them all out of the room, then he got down on his knees and prayed. Turning toward the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called for the believers, especially the widows, and presented her to them alive. What did that look like? I mean, all of a sudden, they're in this house, and Peter comes down the stairs with Tabitha in tow and says, hey, ladies, you thought she was dead. Guess what? God knew she wasn't. God raised her back from the dead. Here she is. And they probably went, oh, that's nice. Of course, there's a freak out, right? Like, good grief, raised from the dead, we saw her. She was pale. Rigor mortis was setting in. She was in trouble, of course. How did this happen? And certainly, again, we can be cynical and they think, the money train, the, the, it's still here. But I don't think that's why they rejoiced. I think they rejoiced because the person that they loved and knew they would miss and long for and think of often for the love that she showed for them was still alive so they could love her back. And they could praise God for what he had done. In them and in Tabitha's life. Now, I have a question for you. As you read this text and you read this story, why would God, why would Jesus raise Tabitha from the dead? Just to have a miracle? Just so people could say, there was this woman, she was dead, but now she's alive. I don't think so. In fact, I'm fairly certain that God healed her so that her generosity could grow and she could glorify Christ even more. And now the best part is she's got disciples. She's got a whole group of ladies who got time on their hands and who now have a story to tell. All the widows would go out and say, you want to know who this Jesus is? We'll tell you the story about this woman who is dead, who 
who with a pure heart gave generously to so many around her. And we saw her raised from the dead. You can see why at the end of the text, it is the story that the kingdom grew and many believers were added to them that day and in the days to come. The days to come showed that when you and I are open in our hearts to what God might do when we are obedient to his calling, miracles happen. People are changed. People are raised from the dead. The story may not always look good and sometimes it's disappointing, but when it's not, it's beautiful. And when it's beautiful, let's pursue that beauty and trust that ultimately it is God's story to tell and not ours. We're going to be generous. We're going to give unto the Lord. We're going to give unto his kingdom. We're going to find the places and the spaces and the people that we can give into trusting that he may even raise people from the dead. And if not that, then he can change lives. And if not that, he at least can speak a word of hope and life and grace and love through us. We can trust that God will do it when we are generous. Yes, we will get burned. But when we're not, it's beautiful. And it changes the world around us. It changes us. Yes, it's important for us to see the big picture when it comes to generosity. When we look at places and spaces where God calls us to give, understand, you and I have no idea what might God do in this. When Tabitha woke up and she looked around at the widows who had come to mourn her, do you think she was surprised by some of the people in the room? I'm going to guarantee you she was. I'm going to guarantee you That there was somebody or maybe a few that she looked around and said, I can't believe you came. I'd given up on you. I'd forgotten about you. And yet here God has worked through my generosity and you're here. God be praised. Let's give him more glory and let's tell more of his story. We have no idea what Christ might do when our hearts in thanksgiving give generously to the kingdom. Folks, you all, I, we know the love and the grace of Jesus. Even if you do not confess him as Lord, I guarantee you he has shown up in your life. If you don't believe that, you're sitting here today. That's a sign of God's love and God's grace in you. If you are here, you know God's love and God's grace in some way. And if he has given generously unto you, and he says to you and I, in all things, go and do likewise, how in the world can we think we can be stingy? How do we think that we can ever outgive God. God has given us everything. He's given you life and grace and love and hope and purpose. He's given you an eternity. How can you ever give enough to give back unto him what he has given to you? Doing so with open hearts allows us to experience much more of Christ and his love for us than if we're stingy. If we're closed off, we miss it. 
I think of this. Um, I've, I've said the story before, but it's, it, is, it is my one in 50 story in many ways. So Dewanda's story among us gives me cause to praise God. She is one of those people, Dewanda Dickens, the janitor of this church, who was broken and lost in her poverty, in her addiction, in all of her stuff, and yet, through the love of the Vanderkoys and many others, brought her into the kingdom. And now she, with gratitude, every week works on this place to make it clean for you. We don't know that story if Pete and Alice Vanderkoy are stingy with their generosity. We don't know that story if you and I are stingy with how we accept and love people and give to them what God is calling us to give. We don't have that story, and we don't have many others. We don't have the story of Jack Bermuda who died this week. And yes, we mourn his loss, but we praise God that here is a guy who was dealing with so many worldly struggles who even on his deathbed could confess in his brokenness that Jesus Christ is Lord and I trust him with everything even in my final breath. We don't have that story if we are stingy. We have that story because those of us who have been called have been generous. Let's grow in that generosity and see what other stories God might bring. You know, I, I learned this, this whole idea of generosity, especially with my time and my energy and, and, and to loving people. And I, you, if you know me, you know, I can talk to almost anybody for a good amount of time. I learned it from my grandfather. My grandfather died in my junior year of college, and um, Andy, Andy Elgris, my, my middle name is Andre, it's actually, I'm named after him, but with a French version, and we can go into all that and what that means, but anyway, my grandfather, Andy, was generous, but the thing is, is Andy really was poor, financially very poor. He, he wasn't very successful as a farmer. He finally found some success in real estate in the end, but really, I mean, he had a small little itty-bitty house that he could barely keep up, and he had um, him and my grandma. They never had a whole lot. He, I just remember him driving one of those big Oldsmobile Delta 88s that was like 10 years old, and it was a boat, and I couldn't just, you know, sleep in the back seat. Me and my brother and my sister could sleep three abreast because that thing was so big. Remember, it was beautiful. But when he died, I received two things from my grandfather's estate. I received a maroon and gray striped tie that was literally this wide. I've never worn it, but I still have it. And I received a watch that was broken and could not be fixed. It would only tell the right time two times a day. And I still have it. I didn't receive anything else because my grandfather was not wealthy. But then we went to the viewing. Viewing was at a church just outside of Hamilton, Ontario. I've told this story before, but it just speaks to what a generous heart does. There's nine children in my father's family on that side, so there's a lot of aunt, uncles and aunts and cousins. So there was a lot of us there. 
But we were absolutely flabbergasted that 1,400 people showed up at the viewing. It was a small community, a church of 300. 1,400 people showed up at the viewing. 700 showed up at the funeral the next day. And as we stood in the line, here's what we heard. We'd never known it, including my grandmother, never knew these stories. They went something like this. I couldn't pay for groceries. Andy showed up at my house with a bag from the grocery store. I couldn't get gas for my car. Andy met me at the gas station and filled the tank up. I couldn't, but Andy. I couldn't, but Andy. Story after story of my grandfather who didn't have enough to give me more than a tie I would never wear and a watch that didn't work. But he gave me and my family a legacy of generosity and loving and taking a chance on people in his world that God had given him who probably could never give back and might actually burn him. He was burned many times. Lots of stories of that. But he kept doing that. I couldn't but Andy. I couldn't but Andy. And the legacy of his generosity blessed us, gave glory to God, and allows us as a family to tell the story of how the love of Christ changed this man so that he could give even when it was truly sacrificial, even when he didn't have much. He gave it unto God and the kingdom kingdom got bigger. People of the river, where are the places in your life where someone says, I can't but you. I can't but you. And yes, we do so in wisdom. Yes, we do so in obedience to God's calling. But when we do, we give with open hearts and open wallets that we trust that God's blessing might be greater than we can ever think of or imagine. The stories that may come out, whether in this world or when Christ returns again, will bless us and we will see that through our generosity... God's kingdom grew. He's always been generous with us. How might we grow in our generosity to him? Let's pray. Father God, I am grateful that you have given us, you've given me so much. And Lord, I was, frankly, I burned you a lot. I burned you a lot in my disobedience. I burned you a lot, Father God, in my sin, in my foolishness, and yet you have continued to with abundance give me your love and your grace. May I understand that as I give unto your kingdom, give in obedience, give generously to those others whom you have put into my life, that you might receive glory and your kingdom might grow. You will do your work 
We have to trust, Lord, that you will do your work because we can't figure it out. There are places that we think that our generosity should be successful and it's not. And there's places where we don't trust that it will change anything and it does. Lord, this is your work, but we ask that you might use us, transform us because you have been generous with your love and your grace for us. Now we might be generous with others generous with your kingdom. We might give sacrificially, trusting, Lord, that you will continue to provide for us and give us more opportunity to be generous again. Father, um, I just pray for those here who are wondering just how generous you are, who do not know your love and your grace, that, Lord, you might overwhelm them. Your grace and your love might be generous to them in a way which they, can, they can't even imagine right now. And that generosity of love and grace might transform them and move them to a place of faith, knowing you, trusting you, and then living out a life of generosity to others thanksgiving for what you've done. Father, this is work that you and you alone can do in us. We ask that you do it today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.